So, uh, my name is Tim, and I get the privilege of teaching here on a regular basis, and we are in a series on the book of Daniel this morning, and we've got some ground to cover, so we're going to move quickly. Are you all right with that? All right, so turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, the book of Daniel, thanks Kathy, thank you very much, is... uh, the book of Daniel is about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. It's after Ezekiel, and it's before Hosea. We're getting towards the end of the book, and um, things get... in the book, That latter half of the book of Daniel is a little different. Um, I think we'll see that this morning. So let me start reading. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. This is actually, he mourned for the three weeks before the vision came. So he's mourning for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. All right, pause there. For a second. So this is the setting that we have here. The year, it's uh, 537 B.C. This is towards the end of Daniel's life. He's probably at least in his mid-70s. And Daniel's lived most of his life away from his homeland in literal exile under the Babylonian Empire. But just two years previous, in 539, this Babylonian Empire was conquered by Cyrus and the Persian Empire. So the Persians conquered him. And that, but, but Daniel's still in the same city, Babylon, just now under a new regime, the Persian regime. But when, when Cyrus came in, one of the things that Cyrus did is he allowed some of Daniel's countrymen and women, some of the Jews, to return to their homeland, to Israel, to Jerusalem. And this, 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 this um, period of time that Daniel's talking about, it's actually in the springtime that we'll see in a second during the festival of Passover. Passover is like one of the, the main festivals in, uh, in the Jewish um, calendar. And so here's Daniel. His, his countrymen and women, they've, they're back in Jerusalem celebrating Passover, finally. And here he is towards the end of his life. And where is he? He's still in Babylon. And we don't know if he's still there because he's because he's stuck there for some reason, because his health, because of his age. But for some reason, his, he's got his fellow, fellow Jews are beginning to return home and celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And he is still in Babylon. And he's, he's mourning. He's grieving. And I wonder if there's not this sense of, of oh, how I wish I was, how I wish I was at home celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. But here I am. Towards the end of my life, and I'm still in Babylon. And I, and I wonder if there's not this sense of, of maybe insignificance, maybe this getting left behind. Maybe this, does, does my life still matter the same way it once did? Because there's this rich and beautiful and connected with God thing taking place over there, but I'm here mourning in Babylon. Have you ever had an experience where it feels like you just you want to be celebrating Passover in Jerusalem, but you are stuck grieving in Babylon? 
And I think there's something about exile that in Daniel's sense, and even kind of in the metaphorical and symbolic ways we can experience exile, there's a way that exile can be disempowering, can make us feel small, make us question our significance. Daniel longs to be home in Jerusalem celebrating Passover, but he's mourning in Babylon. And then something happens. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone. Gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. All right. So that was different. So let me uh, let me just uh, talk a second. What what we encountered here. This is actually the beginning, the beginning of a vision that ends the book of Daniel. Daniel chapters ten, eleven, and twelve are all one big vision. Daniel cha- in 10, what we just read is Daniel encounters this messenger. 
and has this interaction with this messenger, right? And then in 11 and 12, this messenger shares a message, a vision about the future. And so the whole 10, 11, 12 form one unit. And the, the genre of this unit is called, the, uh, the genre is called apocalyptic. Can you say apocalyptic? Apocalyptic. And apocalyptic, it's interesting because it's a genre of literature that we don't really have any equivalent to in today's world. And oftentimes, you know, I think uh, it's it's. I think we feel sometimes unequipped to read apocalyptic. It's like, how do we read this? It's so different than things we read, and maybe we just kind of we read it just like a newspaper report or something like that. But it's its own genre, and there's there's a couple of things that characterize the apocalyptic genre. That two things in particular: one, that it reveals. Um, reveals what you might call heavenly realities, spiritual realities, this other realm. And then two, that it reveals things about the future. And so it's, there, it, it reveals things about this other spiritual realm and it reveals things about the future. And so in chapter 10, we see this kind of this revealing of this other realm, this, this behind the curtain is what we see. Okay, so and that's what I want to spend a little time talking about this morning and trying to make sense of this. So I want to ask a few questions about this and hopefully we'll get we'll kind of begin to wrap our minds around what is going on with this revelation of behind the curtain, the spiritual realm. So first question, why? What is the purpose of chapter 10? Why is this peak behind the curtain given to Daniel? And, and why, in a sense, is it given to to the readers, both ancient and us today. I mean, because it could just skip straight to it could skip straight to eleven, just start talking about the future. But no, it gives this vision of this spiritual realm, these things going on. Why? I think there's a few hints in chapter ten of why we're given this at all, and I want to point out um, three of them. There's three times that the messenger touches Daniel. You catch that? Three touches. Verse 10 says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And then the messenger says, Daniel, stand up. And then it says, I stood up trembling. So the first touch, Daniel goes from on the ground to standing. Second touch, verse 16. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and began to speak. So second touch, Daniel goes from speechless to speaking. Third touch, verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Daniel goes from weak to strong. So three touches. This whole this passage is kind of structured on these three touches. And Daniel goes from on the ground to standing, speechless to speaking, from weak to strong. And I think this, this, is, this is pointing to what is the point of this whole encounter. And I think the point is for Daniel to stand up and speak and be strong. The point is encouragement. The point of chapter 10, I believe, is encouragement. Oftentimes when scholars talk about the, the whole genre of apocalyptic, one of the things that scholars will talk about is that it's often written to people who feel powerless and feel insignificant. And the whole genre is written to encourage people. And I think we see this in Daniel chapter 10. It's written to encourage both Daniel and us today. And so I wonder, even for us, 
you know, this messenger, this messenger represents God to Daniel. And God's heart towards Daniel. To put a hand on his shoulder and say, stand up. Speak. Be strong. I wonder even today, where is that place in your life that you need God to put a hand on your shoulder and say, stand up, speak, be strong. Daniel 10 is written to encourage Daniel and to encourage us today. So, if the first question is, why do we have this? The answer is to encourage I want to ask, the next question I want to ask is, okay, how, how does that work? How does this vision encourage us? And there's, I think there's two ways that I see it encouraging. Encouraging Daniel, encouraging the later readers. And I think it encourages these two ways, and we'll explore both of them. One, I think it says to Daniel, there's more going on than you realize. There's more going on, Daniel. And then two, I think it says to Daniel, your actions matter. There's more going on. I want to talk about that for a second. So um, this vision reveals to Daniel the more going on. And, And part of the more going on is these, it talks about these princes behind Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, Prince of your people. Did you catch that? Yeah, so let's just, there's three, three princes that we heard mentioned. Verse 13 was one of them. Um, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. And then we, uh, in verse 20, we get another prince. After the prince of Persia, when I go, the prince of Greece will come. And then in verse uh, 21, we get this third prince. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. So what, what, are, what are these princes? So, it appears that there's these three human kingdoms. Persia, who is ruling over, had conquered Babylon. And then, um, and then Persia is going to eventually be conquered by Greece, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. And so that uh, we see here that Greece has this prince behind it. And then it refers to Michael, the prince of Daniel's people, the prince of the Jews, Israel. And so what the, the picture it's painting is this. The picture it's painting is that behind these human kingdoms that we can see with our eyes, there's some kind of spiritual power, spiritual entity behind them. Behind Persia, there's this prince of Persia, somehow connected to Persia. Behind Greece, there's this prince of Greece, somehow connected to Greece. Behind Israel, there's this prince of Israel, somehow connected to Israel. There's, the, there's these spiritual powers behind these earthly kingdoms. And now my guess is for some, for some of us, perhaps if, if you're kind of, uh, if you've grown up around the biblical worldview and, and you think, okay, I that, okay, I can see that. There, there are these angels and these other spiritual powers. I get that. But for some of us, maybe you're here today and, and uh, the biblical way of seeing the world is new to you. And maybe you're just thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> Spiritual end powers behind king? Like, what is this about? What are you talking about? So, just try as you might, push out any kind of like sci-fi cartoon kind of imagery here. Because I think we're going to get all on the wrong track in that direction. Okay? And I just want to talk about the idea that in... that. 
I believe, and I think Scripture is teaching, that we cannot sum up a human kingdom with only psychological and sociological categories. That oftentimes there's a spiritual something, a spiritual power behind them. I was reading um, this past week a book by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates called Between the World and Me. And um, Coates is an African-American man who is writing about his experience of being African-American man in, in America today, and he's writing to his son. And he's, he's thought a lot about racism and race relations in, in this country. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a profound book. Coates is not a man of faith. In fact, he would say that um, he has no kind of transcendent vision of the. It's just here and now. That's all we have. But as Coates talks about racism, listen to some of the language he uses. Coates writes, The plunder of black life was drilled into this country in its infancy and reinforced across its history so that plunder has become an heirloom and intelligence a sentience, a default setting to which likely to the end of our days we must invariably return. So here Coates, he's thought deeply about racism and he, and he has no, and, and he, he's not saying that there's actual powers. He's, but the, when he says, how do you explain what we've experienced? He says, it's like, it's like there's an intelligence, a, a sentience. It's like there's some kind of power behind the thing. He, he has to pull on this language of spiritual power. And not because he literally believes that, but I think in his analysis that he senses it. That, that for example, at the, like this corporate level of racism, capital R, I don't think we can reduce it to simply psychological and sociological factors. There's a spiritual something behind it at a corporate level. And I think we could talk about similar things, about the commodification of women's bodies in our world today. We could talk about the opioid epidemic in America today. Or we could talk about, like Greece and like Persia, the way groups of people can get this vision of violence and conquering and lust for power and how it begins gobbling up other countries. The book of Daniel says there's a power behind Persia. There's a power behind Greece. Biblically, there are these... We can't just, we can't just, we can't just uh, reduce it to mere psychological and sociological factors. There's something more. That's what Daniel's saying. Now... I just want to kind of, um, I think one of the dangers in this is that we would, um, we can, I, I, I think biblically what we see is the recognition that there's something more without getting obsessed with figuring out what the something more is. Okay? And I, it's, this, it's this balance. So, for example, this idea gets picked up in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says, um, he uses this language. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And it's interesting, in Paul's day, that there were a lot of people who were, who were trying to like detail out hierarchies and name all the powers and create maps and all this kind of like, you know, kind of this obsession. And Paul doesn't go there. Paul simply says, yeah, there, there's more to this world than we realize. And then he just uses a bunch of general terms. There's rulers, there's powers, there's authorities. There's more out there. I'm not going to go, I'm not gonna, we're not going to try and detail it all out. But we have to be honest about the fact that there's more. C.S. Lewis says it this way about this, this balance. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or spiritual powers. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So, we are not... You know, there's a way of being there, there's a way of being superstitious, of kind of seeing powers behind every rock. There's a way of being unstitious, of where you just know it's not, it's just psychological sociology, there's nothing more out there. In the words of Michael Scott, we need to be a little stitious. <laughs> we need moderately stitious. We need to, but no, I think that's what, that's what Daniel, Daniel doesn't map it all out. Paul doesn't map it all out. It doesn't say, they, they both, they say, look, this stuff's, there's more. It's not, there's more. There are these powers. Don't obsess over it. But we need to understand there's more out there. And I think that's encouraging to Daniel. It's not, Daniel, you're not forgotten. You're not on the periphery. You're not on the margins. You're not uninvolved. There's more, Daniel, and you're part of it. I think it's meant to encourage Daniel, this glimpse behind the curtain, it's about his significance. So, so we talked about the why that it's meant to encourage. Part of the how it encourages, it shows Daniel there's more. He has significance. And I think the other part of the how, the second part of the how, is that Daniel's actions matter to that something more. And we see how they matter in a couple ways. Um, Oh, I'm in the book of Romans. That's the wrong place. Uh, In verse 12, the messenger says to Daniel, it says, Since the first day that you, Daniel, set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, at some fundamental level, it's saying that Daniel... Your actions, your prayers matter. They're not insignificant. You're not powerless. It is changing things. In the he- in, it, like at a spiritual level, God heard and, and things are happening, Daniel, because of your prayer of humility and understanding. That same passage that I talked about from Ephesians that Paul wrote, Paul talks about, he says, our struggle is is not against flesh and blood, it's against these powers. And then he goes on to say, um, put on truth and put on righteousness and pray and trust the scripture and trust God. And Paul, similarly in the New Testament, is saying, your actions matter. We're not just passively, passive spectators, but our actions matter to this something more that's going on. And the actions that Daniel talks about and the actions that Paul talks about they're not, I mean, and again, I think to pull, kind of push out the sci-fi, spiritual jujitsu. I mean, it's not like, Paul doesn't talk about, Daniel doesn't talk about like doing special incantations or, you know, signs or like magical spells. 
the things that what the things that Daniel did that affected this bigger reality was to pray for understanding and to be humble. That affected this bigger reality. You can go back to Daniel chapter 9. Again, a messenger comes to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prayed a prayer of repentance that affected this bigger reality. In, the, in Ephesians, Paul talks about, tell the truth. Be rightly related to people. Be ready to share the story of Jesus. These are how you struggle against the powers. But they're very, they're very, they're normal acts of faith. They're not, it's not this kind of sci-fi, this stuff. It's normal acts of faith. Prayer, trust, truth-telling, reading scripture. These affect this bigger reality. And it's meant to encourage Daniel that he's not insignificant, that he's not powerless. Ten years ago, um, I was uh, I was working at a ministry, and I was tasked to to start this new ministry, and uh, and I was working at it, working at it, and I felt like I was just making no ground, and so I'd work harder, and it felt like I wasn't seeing the results, and I found myself just getting discouraged. There is this. Uh, you know, part of kind of North American church culture, it, one, one, of the, one of the things in, in North America is this kind of this desire for efficiency and effectiveness to see results. And, and there's a good side to that, but there's also a, a dark side to that. And part of the dark side to that for me was when I didn't see the results I thought I was supposed to see, there was this sense of this helplessness, this powerlessness, this insignificance. It crept into my heart. And, and, I, and I needed, I needed God, and I needed God through people around me to say, hey, you, don't, you need to stop looking at this through your eyes for human success of how you think it should look. Because your acts, Tim, your acts of faithfulness, like God is honoring them. They make a difference. And in that season of life, God used people around me to say that to me. Don't devalue what is happening in people's lives. The good thing, your acts of faithfulness make a difference. It's not all about your standard of success. And I wonder, you know, if this whole exile experience for Daniel is, is feeling kind of insignificant and on the margins and forgotten. And I wonder, this, this vision is to say, Daniel, no, you're not. There's more things going on in your prayers, Daniel. Your actions matter. And I wonder, maybe for you this morning, is there a place where, where God maybe wants to say to you, don't devalue that. Don't minimize that. Your prayers, your actions, your hopes, your faithfulness, they're not insignificant. They matter in ways you'll never know. I wonder this morning if there aren't people in your life that you're not meant to be a messenger to. That you're not meant to go and put a hand on them and to say, God sees what you're doing. And I know maybe from a human perspective, it seems small, it seems insignificant, it seems like it doesn't matter, but don't believe that there's more going on and what you're doing matters. And it changes things in ways you'll never understand. 
Daniel chapter 10. Just to kind of sum up, Daniel chapter 10. It's this, this apocalyptic, a vision, this peek behind the curtain. And it's written to Daniel in this time when he's mourning, when he's feeling small, he's feeling insignificant. And I think the point of the vision, why is Daniel given this? Why are we given this? Is to encourage. Say there's more going on. Say what you do matters. And this, this is central to the Christian faith. We, we, follow, we follow a Messiah, a rabbi, who was born to a poor family. Questionable circumstances. Started off, he started off as a refugee in Egypt. Grew up doing blue-collar work. Had maybe three years of public ministry. Eventually he was, he was squashed out by the, the political and and military powers of the day, and everything about Jesus' life from human perspective screams insignificant. And yet it's his life, death, and resurrection that we are told triumphs over the powers. That here we come to the crux of history. And it's as we walk after him, as we trust in him, I believe that we are able to fully see the significance of our own lives. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you that you, um, you, don't, you didn't measure your own life by human standards. Uh, you don't measure our lives that way. Um, you see the more that is going on. Um, you see the significance of our acts of faithfulness. Thank you that, Jesus, you walked that road, that you are the one, um, you walked it perfectly. You triumphed over the powers. That as we trust in you, that, um, that we, we find that same significance. Lord, I pray, I pray for uh, us today that if there are places that we feel that, that smallness, that powerlessness, that even this morning, um, that you would speak words of truth uh, to us about how you see us. How you see what we're doing. In your name. Amen.